the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. British flag tankers are no longer subject to price discrimination on war risk insurance for trips to the Gulf, provided they are under naval escort when transiting the Strait of Hormuz. But that suggests a level of stability in the region that doesn't yet exist. We've seen 85 interactions between the UK naval forces there to protect vessels and Iran's Revolutionary Guard in the last couple of weeks alone. And UK tonnage is now essentially avoiding the region until more guarantees can be seen as well as talked about by politicians. On the political front, we've had a change of government here in the UK and initial suggestions point towards US sympathies rather than a European solution. So, here to help us make sense of what is going out in the Gulf, I have our crack squad of security analysts with us, uh, Michelle Bockman, David Osler, um, talking about the insurance side, and joining the podcast, I have Linton Nightingale, here to tell us about uh, the Top 100 Ports Project. So, let's start off with what's going out in the Gulf. Um, Michelle, I'm going to start with you. You've been tracking the interactions uh, with vessels going through the strait, uh, initially avoiding UK government Correct. advice. Then the UK government changed uh, its policy effectively and then brought a little bit more naval support out. And uh, we've now got a bit of a, a stalemate situation where UK vessels are essentially passing through, albeit with support from naval vessels. Correct. But we're in a bit of a standoff. What's, what's the situation? Well, um, developments this week and, and further colour that's emerged, I think, don't really um, prove positive for either the crew of the Stena Impero, the product tanker that was seized by Iranians and is now offshore in Bandar Abbas in Iran, nor the Grace One, the Iranian-controlled VLCC that is now impounded in Gibraltar and whose seizure for taking crude to Syria is now responsible for what the Iranians did. That's, this was essentially yeah. the, the incident that kicked it all off and is now yes. being coloured in terms of, uh, you know, a tit-for-tat uh, standoff between the Iranians and the British. So, what's happened since the, in, in the month of July? So I've had a look at um, all transits, over 10,000 dead weight through the Strait of Hormuz, 1,235 transits, 628 of these were crude product or chemical tankers, um, or LNG or LPG carriers, that's liquefied natural gas, liquefied petroleum gas. And the British flags were a very small percentage of this. Um, there were just 14 in July 2019, but that is two thirds um, of what was going through the strait in July 2018. So you can obviously see there's been a, a, a huge impact. Plus you have the reports from the commanding officer of the HMS Montrose, which is the British Royal Navy frigate, which is um, protecting vessels out there in the region. And as you said earlier, 85 interactions over 23 transits. So. And the, the inference there was that it was a very, very heated situation, unlike many merchant vessels have seen mm. before. So just for the for the benefit of the re- mm. listeners, just define what we're talking about when we're talking about UK shipping, because it's not just UK flag, is no. it? No. So this encompasses the red ensign, and in, in the case of, of the, the analysis we've been doing, it includes Gibraltar, Isle of Man, Cayman Islands, Bermuda, British Virgin Islands and just your plain UK flag vessels. Mm. Okay, all right. So essentially, British shipping largely avoiding the region now until we see some greater clarity, I would assume. Mm. We've seen the likes of Shell and BP essentially saying we're not going to be using UK tonnage. 
Although, to be honest, we've had a look and, frankly, they weren't really using much to start with. So it's yeah. not uh, a great uh, sacrifice on their part. But it is indicative of the nervousness, I think, from big-name charterers to even associate themselves with UK flag tonnage right now. So, Dave, I want to bring you in here on the uh, the war risk side, the insurance reaction to, to what's going on here. We've initially seen, um, you know, a spike in premiums, but I don't think that's really the case now. Give us, give us a flavour of what's going on in general terms in terms of insurance response here. Well, I've been covering marine insurance for a few years now, and most of that time it's been a steady diet of P&I, hull, cargo, a bit of cyber. This is the first time that war risk has really been in focus. And, yeah, I have to say it's been a very efficient market. It's actually responded and reacted very rapidly within hours to each twist and turn in the situation. Mm. Okay. But what's that meant in terms of rates specifically? Well, Richard, um, war risk is levied as a a percentage, a fraction of a percentage on whole value. And the kind of ships we're talking about here, a hypothetical five-year-old VLCC is probably worth about $70 $70 million, so each one-tenth of a percentage point equates to $70,000. Now, the going rate before the situation became heated in the early month of this year, um, it might have been 0.02% of high value. Since the attacks in Fujairah and the other attacks on vessels in the Gulf, that's in ballpark terms, gone up to 0.2 to 0.4%. So that's a 10 or 20% jump, if you look at it like that. That is significant. I mean, it is, you know, in the grand scheme of you know, maritime insurance, that is a significant increase in costs for ship owners, right? Uh, an additional six-figure hit every trip, yeah. Yeah, okay. But for UK flagship specifically, what's the situation? Well, it seems that uh, there were a few jitters after the capture of Stena Impero by the Iranians um, a couple of weeks back. Um, And in the days after that, the UK government advised UK flag tonnage not to make that trip. Now, for those who wanted to do so anyway, and, you know, in in today's climate, you know, you're not going to say no to a stem if it's going... um, they were being quoted, typically, I'm told, by uh, market sources, 0.5% instead of 0.4%. Now, you know, yes, that's only one-tenth of a percentage point, but if you look at it another way, that's 25% more in absolute terms than everyone else is paying. Mm. Now, there were even uh, talk, some speculation, that quotes ran as high as 0.8%, which would have been over half a million bucks more per trip for some UK flag vessels. However, since then, the government has made it clear that naval protection is on offer, and again, reacting very very efficiently, the premium on British flag tankers, last I heard, had um, dissipated, so they're now being priced the same as anybody else. Mm. And that's effectively reflective of the fact that we've got naval support, we've got escorts finally coming through, something that technically wasn't happening up until that point. So, as you say, the market seems to be reacting pretty efficiently. I guess the question is, what happens now? And, you know, both in terms of insurance and and the political situation, there's no easy answers. There's not an obvious solution here. We've seen Dominic Raab, the new uh, Home Secretary, 
uh, sorry, Foreign Office uh, foreign Minister, yeah. um, taken over from Jeremy Hunt. Jeremy Hunt, the previous Foreign Secretary, uh, you know, had given uh, you know some robust words, but essentially left the door open to a lot of different options, exactly. including a European naval uh, coalition that would have allowed the US side and the European side to protect collaboratively, I think was the intention. It seems Dominic Raab might not be in favour of that diplomatic solution, no, what he no. said. Well, the problem is, is that this needs a diplomatic solution if we're to see the Grace One released and the Stenner Impero released. Um, everything else in the meantime is, is frankly just addressing the immediate security and safety concerns for vessels coming through. So what's happened this week? Well, Dominic Raab has said he's not going to do a, an exchange for the Grace One for the Stenner Impero. So mm. Jeremy Hunt had said, you know what, you, you undertake not to send the Grace One to Syria and we'll release it, and you therefore release the Senate in Peru. He said he's not going to do that. He's also um, sort of shifted towards, instead of a European-led um, naval protection mission that um, Hunt was seeking, he's now, there were talks with the Fifth Fleet in Bahrain earlier to, earlier this week, and it's, it's quite clear, I think, that we're going to get a coalition that involves the US, mm. which once again, you know, there's a lot of hawks in the US, and I, I don't think that's a particularly smart diplomatic way of dealing with things. And then, of course, when we talk about, um, you know, perhaps not behaving or, or think being in your best interest, we had the comments from the master of the Grace One on the BBC mm. earlier this week in which I think he was quite disingenuous and did himself and the crew no favours at all. Um, he accused the um, Royal Marines of using brute force, which I think that, that language is perhaps a, a little inflammatory. And then he also said, well, well, yes, we were plotting course for Syria. You know, we were doing that, but that was because it was in the central med. And he said, um, we then changed it to Cyprus. And anyway, we're a VLCC. You know, we're too big to go to that port. Mm. And of course, everyone knows that the Iranians you know, other masters of ship-to-ship -ship transfers and subterfuge. So Gibraltar has, of course, come out very strongly and said, you know, we've got evidence to the contrary. So I think that rather than help himself and his crew, the master really has played right into the hands of everybody. And I think that's added another spanner in, you know, some diplomatic solution being, being found. Indeed. And the, the diplomacy of such uh, situations are probably well beyond the uh, scope of Lloyd's List's uh, experts Indeed, to, uh, <laughs> to offer a solution. But I mean, I, I put it out to both of you. I mean, how, how do you see this playing out, Dave? I mean, any predictions in terms of what we're going to see here in terms of war risk or, or, or anything else? You'd be a brave person to make predictions in a situation like this. And I mean, yes, I have got a master's degree in international relations, but... <laughs> but even with that academic background, I'm not I'm not in a position to predict the vagaries of the Trump administration, um, yeah, well, who, which doesn't always seem to be following a logical game plan. They're crazy brave, though. You know, I think they like taking everybody to the brink, and I think this is what's happening. And you know, and then at some stage, you know, Trump will stand back, and it depends on how close I think. You know, Trump becomes aligned with the Stenet Impero and the Grace One mm. as to, you know, how quickly we find a solution. In the meantime, the one thing I can say, I think with some degree of certainty, is that we will see very little UK flagship in going through the Strait of Hormuz. Well, Michelle, I think when, when you say that uh, Donald Trump is crazy brave, I think you're half right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's fair to say two things. One, you're right. I think we are seeing people avoid the UK flag. Yes. And I think it's probably likely we are going to see further exits from the UK flag as a result of this. It's not the first time I've said that, but I'm sticking to my guns on that one. It is a tough time for the UK ship register. The other hey, side at, is... At least we didn't change ship ministers well, with the exactly, la- latest yeah. cabinet. Well, that's, no, no. Nusrat Ghani's uh, retention is a positive for shipping, I would say. The other <laughs> thing I would say is that uh, you only have to look at historical precedent here to say this is not all bad news for shipping. There are going to be some people that are going to be uh, working this risk to their advantage and some people are going to be making significant profit off the back of this risk. And maritime lawyers, don't forget that. Well, the lawyers tend to win in most situations, yeah. so yeah, I think we're okay with that. Right, we will draw to a close on the uh, the Gulf discussions, but I want to uh, turn our attention now to uh, ports. Uh, every year, Lloyd's List um, manages to go through all of the records globally uh, across all of the major containerized ports and do uh, a fairly enormous job of uh, collating all the data and working out who are the top 100 um, uh, container ports. Uh, Linton Nightingale, our, our features editor, our magazines editor, and general uh, all-round uh, go-to guy for Lloyd's List has uh, been leading the charge on this one. It is Lloyd's List's most read piece of content on an annual basis. This is the uh, the reference point of the industry. So, Linton, give us a, an overview. In, what, what's the conclusion from this year's Top 100 project? Hello, Richard. Okay, so box volumes this year uh, reached 616.7 million TU, which obviously doesn't sound much in the grand scheme of things. Um, but it was a, a near 5% increase over last year, over 2017, sorry. Um, softening slightly from the 6% in 2017, but a decent return following several years of only moderate rises. China's performance, which is linked intrinsically to the wider market, um, remains strong with growth of, growth of just over 4%, of, of course, despite the high-profile high trade spat with the US and its move away from uh, being an export-led economy. Um, this year we had 22 Chinese ports within the top 100, including seven in the top 10, and of course Shanghai, which retained its top spot. Sorry, say that again. 22 of the top 100 are now Chinese. Yes, wow. they are okay. indeed. So this actually represents, if the total top 100 volumes, the amount moved through Chinese ports is just below 40%, which is pretty incredible. That is quite spectacular given the speed at which they have taken over those top rankings that is yeah. uh, impressive so beyond china um growth was fragmented um there was obviously strong performance from the developing markets most notably southeast asia um, vietnam bangladesh and indonesia did particularly well um, obviously, their economies are booming, but um, they're also benefiting significantly from the ongoing trend of manu- manufacturers moving production away from traditional homes in northern China um, as they look for a more cost-effective means of business and shifting supply chains. Um, Central and South America fared very well as well, as did the Mediterranean, where transshipment activity continues to grow. North America did well, although... Volumes were aided by the end-of-year rush, of course, to beat tariffs on Chinese imports in the mm. US. Um, that ensured quite a healthy showing. I mean, the only regions not to report mid to high single-digit percentage growth was the Middle East and Northern Europe. In the Middle East, mm. um, regions' key economies suffered against falling um, oil output and, of course, rising political tension, which we've been talking about earlier on. And, and in Northern Europe, a particularly mature market, moderate growth, I guess, is to be expected. 
Um, but of course, there are winners and losers on a local, regional level um, for a number of re reasons, whether service changes, terminal acquisitions, driving in new business from elsewhere, or other factors beyond port control. Um, for example, the biggest loser was Bandar Abbas in Iran, where obviously US sanctions took their toll here. They had a few issues. They did, Richard. That's where the Senate in peril is now, so. Oh, well, it, it all comes back in the end. Um, okay, so I mean, we, you know, a few sort of localised issues, but uh, fair to say that given that this is an annual set of figures, mm -hmm. we're probably not seeing the full impact of trade war here. You know, that's going to have to be next year's project. I we're thought. not. I mean, so far this year, we've already seen significant drops in traffic for in at North America and US ports, sorry. Um, some of the slack's been taken up by some companies looking at alternative sourcing in Southeast Asia, and there have been reports of huge, huge increases in um, volumes traded from Vietnam, for example, to the US and as well Indonesia mm. again. But... This isn't going to pick up the slack of everything coming from China. This is their main trading partner. So, and it also, you know, it won't happen overnight for some of these companies to shift manufacturing several thousand miles or hundred miles. So, okay. yeah, we won't see the full effect for. Well, we will see some effect this year, but the impacts will be. Yeah. Okay. Well, well worth reading. Um, where should our listeners go? Should they wish to uh, consult this uh, epic amount of uh, mm -hmm. data? So, um, all the rankings and analysis can be found online, of course, and there's um, an outlook for the sector as well. Um, very user-friendly, um, if I must say so myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're also fancy... Who put that together? I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> they're also fancy infographics, graphs, for all those who want to delve into the data, go beyond the numbers. But also you can track the historical data as well, so you can track the performance of individual ports. You've sold it enough. Where do they go? So you go to loyalist.com yeah, and then right. you can find um, the segues on the website. Oh. And of course, you can also access the digital version of the Top 100 Ports magazine, um, which again you'll find within our Top 100 coverage. Yeah. I think uh, fair to say that uh, those listeners who are not yet Loyalist subscribers, you really need to be. Um, you can uh, sign up for a free trial and you can get some access, but some of it is in front of the paywall. But uh, for the sensible people listening to this who are already subscribers, you get full access to everything and will be able to consult it on a daily basis. Um, for now, I think that's it. That's all we have time for for this week's podcast. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, we will uh, be back with you next Friday uh, for more fun and games. For now, thank you very much. Thank you.